Trap Stars. It's a very um interesting story and segue for this special bonus episode of Trap Life. Um, we are currently off season. We will remain off season. I may do um twenty five bonus episodes, or um I may do season two and give you um, 50 episodes of new content. I'm not sure yet, um, figuring it out, but I was working on the other podcast, which is Game Gurus, uh, the Dating Dynamics podcast, and interestingly enough, we started having a conversation, um, and it turned into something completely different. We were having a relationship review conversation. Um, check out Game Gurus. The, the actual episode that we were supposed to be having um, will be available. We recorded an episode uh, where we talked about 10 Things I Hate About You. But our conversation about 10 Things I Hate About You initially resulted in the episode which you will hear so enjoy um it was fun we cover a wide range of topics um i'm not probably not going to give a description um but just know that it's just two people having a conversation very organic fluid um and i, I just really enjoyed the dialogue and i thought that you all might enjoy the dialogue as well so i decided to uh you know, multiply everything and we get new Game Gurus content. Check out that episode, um, which will be premiering tonight as well. Um, we're dropping them at the same time. And check out this episode of Trep Life. Um, I'm going to continue to bring some bonus content all this week. Um, definitely have at least two more episodes coming, maybe more. Uh, there's a lot of content that I just haven't put out yet. Um, for various reasons. So I hope you enjoy this. Let me know what you think and definitely go and support uh, Emily. Take care. Take care. Peace out, my trap stars. Hey, it works. Hey, sorry about <laughs> that. It was. Oh, it's okay. I was trying a different way that I thought maybe worked better because sometimes you can, um, if I go to your profile, I can just mm -hmm. hit the message. Um, feature but it wasn't connecting that way at all so that's so weird yeah it's totally okay I mean obviously not your fault it's just the app because we were having trouble with it before so I don't yeah, know it's a weird glitchy thing <laughs> yeah, it, it's really like if you're just starting a podcast it's phenomenal yeah but as you get deeper into it and like you want to kind of like upgrade or start perfecting refining aspects the audio aspects it's really limiting so oh do they charge you more for like upgrading stuff like that because maybe that's how they, they, get you. they don't <laughs> charge you they're, they're free oh. this whole app is free so it's like you that's really weird. can't complain oh that's weird so i'm gonna start yeah. like looking at some alternatives but yeah right so i'll bring you in okay um i'll like slightly introduce you but i'll really just let you introduce yourself okay cool and then We'll get into the topic. We'll talk about the movie, um, why you selected it, why we like it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just I'll, I'll throw out some questions to you. And then, you know, we'll just take the conversation from there and kind of just have a back and forth conversation more so than like one of us talking first stretch and then segueing to the other person. It will just be more fluid. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. And then. Yeah, and then we'll get into like the different relationships. Uh, and, and again, I'll I'll start the conversation by just asking you about what you thought about this relationship versus the other relationship. And okay. About... Okay, sounds then, awesome. Yeah. Quick question: mm -hmm. How knowledgeable are you about the taming of the shrew? <laughs> okay, so I was going to talk about this in the interview if you asked it, but I only just looked it up that this was loosely based off of Taming of the Shrew because yeah. when I watched this when I was younger I had no idea like I just didn't pick up on the fact that there were an exorbitant amount of Shakespearean references in this movie I just mm -hmm. thought that was something quirky that they put in because Shakespeare is known to write I mean he's known to write 
comedies and tragedies, of course, but his most iconic one is Romeo and Juliet. So you kind of just attach the natural love story to Shakespeare, um, but also with Shakespearean language, it's like always been so romantic or something. So I didn't think anything of it when I watched this film when I was younger, but when I watched this a couple of days ago, I was like, huh, this is really a little bit on the nose and I wonder why they're putting Shakespeare in this so much. And then I looked it up and of course it is loosely based off of that, but I'm sorry to say I have not read Taming of the Shrew, so I don't know anything about it. <laughs> I've not read Taming of the Shrew in a very long time. I think I read it in middle school. Yeah. At some point, um, maybe high school. Maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, sure. I, I read I read other ones, like I, I read Othello in college and Hamlet and Macbeth and Romeo and Juliet in high school, but I feel like they only covered those. And then there was, I think we also did King Lear, but that wasn't a very good story. So I don't remember that one really at all. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. You know the show Empire is based on King Lear? Like, say, I guess, loosely? Say, say that again? The... the show Empire is loosely based on King Lear? Really? Yeah, very, very loosely, I guess. Oh, it's, wow. It's kind of a- a stretch, but it's like the same storyline about a father wanting to leave. And instead of three daughters, it's three sons on Empire. Interesting. I mean, I, I guess that makes sense. Like a lot of uh, a lot of Hollywood seems to base their stuff off of Shakespeare, just because that it's like the easiest one to pull from, I suppose. I mean, I know like in high school when we started to read Macbeth, our, our teacher pointed out first thing that uh, the Lion King is the exact same storyline. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I love the Lion King more than I love Macbeth. Weird. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, I don't think, I just did a like, I was doing some research on the taming of this shrew, and mm-hmm. I feel like it has like some of the same principles, mm-hmm. but the characters are, I feel like, pretty different. Like yeah. even the um, like camp, like uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, his uh, yeah. is completely different than what the Shakespeare character would be like. Yeah. In the example, or um, the father was different, Basley, yeah. and of well, course there are because they're teenagers versus you know. Yeah, I mean this this film is definitely geared toward teenage girls and and preteens specifically. Um but I wonder I don't know, like uh, oh, I don't know. I, I I guess my question doesn't matter. I, I, like never mind, I lost my train of thought. What was it? <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean uh If it comes back to you, just blurt it out. Okay. No oh, actually, yeah. I mean like they touch on like individuality and rebellion and I was going to ask you this in the in the podcast too, but do you think I mean, since you have more knowledge of Taming of the Shrew than I do, because I've never read it, do they touch on rebellion at all or individuality at all? Like, what kind of resistance for love is there in that story? Do you remember? Yeah. So based on my understanding and the reviews that I just kind of were listening to about um, Taming of the Shrew, Mm -hmm. they do touch on it, but I think in a less positive way, Hmm. um, where... I think I don't really know if there's like and it's supposed to be funny but it it deals with like very hard kind of um personifications of different um with the characters so like uh cat or there's I think she's called Catherine in some versions and Katrina in others but Julia Stiles character she's supposed to be a villain mm-hmm. and interesting because she doesn't want to get married and she's the shrew so that that's what the huh. whole yeah concept, yeah yeah and, and the way that and then the guy who marries her um she like he's starving her at first and you know everything he does oh. is like out of love but right. he's a, it's really a like complete an jerk. He isolates her. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. and it, it's just like, wow. It, it's you know, and she she argues with him, and she doesn't really like him, and it, mm-hmm. it's a kind of like, I wouldn't even say semi. It's a pretty abusive uh, relationship, but it's all in like a comedy realm. Huh. Yeah. And so, but. 
I don't know. I I've never found Shakespeare. The only Shakespeare that I thought was funny is what what was the film that came out? I can't. Not a Midnight Summer's Dream, but um, I forget who did it. But there's only really one that I I found like to be kind of humorous. Hmm. I, I I don't find Shakespeare stuff to be like funny. I I, I think it's like. Just the language and, you know, the accents and all that. I'm just, like, thrown off by it. I yeah. can't get into it. But it kind of, to me, it's kind of dramatic, you know? Yeah, Whereas... definitely. But, I mean, you know, this is kind of interesting. I'm sorry I have to interject here. It's just I feel like uh, there are two extreme parallels that you can easily link to the Taming of the Shrew and this film is that you know, in, in the play, obviously, that's a very abusive way of taming this woman. But in this movie, it, you know, like you can parallel them both as like women being property because they're betting on they're, they're basically just like betting uh, on this woman to to on both like, sisters, actually. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. On both sisters. Um, but obviously, the younger one is kind of like more. Uh, willing to play this game because she you know she has a change of heart or something and then she really does fall in love with uh, Cameron uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character and eventually of course Kat falls in love with Patrick but uh, you know it's just the way that they go about it for this movie and for the play they treat women like property which I mean obviously again that's yeah. not something I picked up when I first watched this movie I just thought oh what a classic awesome teen rom-com you know um and for nostalgia purposes, I still love that, love this movie for that reason. But, you know, I obviously can pick it out immediately when I watch it today versus like, I don't, I don't know, the last time I watched it, maybe like 10 years ago or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess I, I'll give you kind of like a preview because I think I've been on, I think I can relate to because I, I've had experiences where I was like Patrick, like I have been, I have made a deal to like go out with a girl because I was going to get something out of it sort of thing. Mm-hmm. High school. Um, I don't think I ever did the Cameron role. Um, and then I, I made a deal with some people to take a girl out, you know, cause it would have helped yeah. in a situation. So I kind of get it. Mm-hmm. I, well, I don't get it. Well, I, I understand that how that happens mm-hmm. but in my mind I never necessarily viewed what was going on as seeing women as property mm-hmm. but I think that's definitely um like an undercurrent that you yeah. just don't kind of like pick up on almost. definitely I mean like if you look at it at the most and I'm, I'm not like defending anyone's behavior and definitely not in the movie but you know, for, and like, think about it this way, like in high school and your teenagers, your worldview is very, very small. Like it was for me when I was a teenager. I'm sure it is for everybody. You know, high school is your whole world and it's just not a very big world. And so you don't have these like huge societal concepts that you're always being able to grasp. I mean, maybe now with teenagers, because they have so much access to information. Right. But, right. Like, the world's but, bigger. Yeah. But like we didn't growing up and you know any any generation before us didn't either and so I feel like it's easy for these things to pop up as just like small teenager games you know and like no one's thinking of treating a woman as property but you're just playing this game with your friend and you know it's just like a classic high school teenage thing to do everyone's starting to hit puberty you're starting to get to know each other maybe you have a crush there's all this gossip going around you know it's just like that's just high school you know um, so, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it was particularly wrong. I just think that was just like a very teenage thing to do to say like, Hey, you want to bet? Like I can ask this girl out and we can date or something, you know? Uh, yeah. I'm sure that happens all the time. Like it happens with girls and guys both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I found out, you know, like in high school there, like a c- certain times girls were paid to go out with me, you know, so mm-hmm. the, or not paid, but you know how that all works out. Like I do something for you, you rub my back and yeah. And it's like, it, I, I think it depends on if there was really a connection involved or how things work out, you know, mm-hmm. it, I think it can rub you the wrong way or you can just kind of 
you know, see it for what it is and be cool with someone or not, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I, I didn't, I never really had too much experience doing that in high school, but you know, I was definitely the middleman for a lot of my friends trying to date each other in their, in our friend circle, you know, just playing telephone and having all these like intricate little teenage games of like mm-hmm. trying to figure out if someone really likes another person and do they want to date and do they want to go out? And then, you know, the aftermath and the drama of when something didn't work out, you know, um, it's just high school. Like you, it's a very formative time in everyone's life. It's not the future, the forever of your life, but it's like a necessary thing. You know, and I just, I think everyone plays that game. No one's, no one's, uh, uh, excluded from that, you know? And then I was like, was that the show she was on? Uh, like this is so kind of like off topic of what we were just talking about and it's less serious but <laughs> the character that plays uh Bianca right the actress right yeah yeah she was Alex Mack right Alex Mack I don't even know if you remember that show on Nickelodeon oh my gosh yeah I'm like, oh my gosh. That stuff. So, like, maybe we don't have to talk about that. But yeah. No, I, you know what, though? I totally forgot about this show. But, like, seeing it, of course, I have this immediate flashback and I remember. But, um, holy crap, I totally forgot this show existed. Yeah, yeah she, she absolutely and was. She, and people used to kind of confuse her and Melissa Joan Hart for each other. Uh, wait, who's, who's <laughs> Melissa Joan Hart? Clarissa. Clarissa explains it all. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh my gosh! I, oh. I think maybe I like grew up more in uh, the Disney Channel than Nickelodeon, mm-hmm. but I mean, I definitely remember this show. Oh my god! I like, totally forgot about this. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm having a lot of nostalgia feels right now. This oh is a nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. This is you what know, a, like, um, quarantine is life is all about. Nostalgia. Oh yeah, just live it. Live. We can't live in the present, and who knows if we have a future. So like, definitely delve into the past. No one's going to judge you. But actually, um, on Netflix, they just uh, released this huge array of '90s films. They have like Hook on there, and It Takes Two. I watched It Takes Two the other day, and I still remember the lines because I watched it so much as a kid. I just like completely forgot about that movie, and then when I saw it on you know, just like scrolling through some films and stuff on Netflix and found the, found this huge 90s section. I just, uh, oh my gosh, I ate it up. So it takes two or a parent yeah. with Lindsay oh, Lohan. Which man. One are you going? Oh my God, really? <laughs> I can't choose between. Like I saw it takes two first and that was like the right. OG movie. And, but then parent trap, I feel like I, I mean, that's a huge family classic. I like think everyone. It Takes Two is the best Olsen Twins movie. Oh, yeah, for 100%. Like, no question. I, I would never refute that. <laughs> yeah. That's, oh, my That's God. a hard one. I know. I, that's I'm like trying to ask me to later. choose. I'm going to give you time to think about that one. Oh, God, dude. I Honestly, I don't know if I could decide. Like, if I had hypothetical children, like, just, like, <laughs> I, that's like asking me to choose between my kids, and I can't. <laughs> like, don't have a favorite child it's just they're both my kids <laughs> both my kids they're both my kids <laughs> yeah oh god yeah I don't know if I could ever choose because I thought about that you know I was just like man I love those movies but I love them both equally I just can't they're both great yeah they are they, well I mean you know the 90s like that 90s was the... had some movies man we, you know was... yeah but you know why like there is a perfect reason why it's because back then they actually had films that you could make for like eight to $11 million. That's how they came out with like, you know, 10 things I hate about you, for example, but they also right. came out with like American pie and all these like the cheaper, phenomenal. Yeah. 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 Just like indie films done right with a budget. And now that stuff is all gone. It doesn't exist anymore. Where you don't uh, have to pay a blockbuster director. Yeah. You can get a pretty cheap script. Exactly. You're using the writers that you already pay as a studio exactly no you're not acquiring a, a property yeah exactly 100 percent. and like all of that is just gone now and so you know american cinema i would argue that it's like kind of down the toilet because you either you only have these like enormous marvel blockbusters because they're the most money or you have like indie features with 
you know, a USC alumni daddy's credit card, let's make something in two weeks in the desert for a quarter of a million dollars. And that's, that's like really all there is. It's just two right. extremes. Um, or you have social media, but I don't even, I mean, that's more like standing beside the film industry. It's not really a part of the film industry. So I don't know. I think you just have like these enormous, massive, like $300 million movies where you have these like quarter of a million, barely able to shoot it, uh, have to be rich and have serious connections to get it through, you know, <laughs> uh, but there, like, there's no in between. Or it's like the, the rarity of a in-between film is like what a 24 and they struggle yeah. the studios yeah. that do produce high quality kind of like indie content yeah or or the film that like um it's a director or an actor's passion product project and they push it through yeah or like yeah. uh annapurna that's one of my favorite studios yeah it's done it's it's run by megan ellison right so a woman and, and obviously yeah a huge she's advocate. great yeah, I think A twenty four is run by a woman though, as well, right? No, really? I thought it was by a couple of dudes in New York. Maybe. I, I mean, maybe. I don't know. I don't I, know. I, I might I, be getting um, I might be getting them mixed up with uh, Anna. How I always mix uh, it up. I don't know. I mean, I haven't checked on A twenty four in a minute, but um, I. But I know Megan Ellis. So. Yeah, runs. Yeah, I was kind yeah. of getting her mixed up. Well, I don't know, but like she, yeah, I mean, she, she put out like Booksmart, she helped discover Fleabag and like, that's some of the best stuff out there, but it's just not making the money it used to. And I don't know, I feel like that's just our industry in a nutshell, like everything's kind of in flux and we don't know where it's going to land because, you know, there's social media now and no one's going to the movie theater and uh, everything's on streaming and no one's making money. And it sounds really dark and depressing, but I just feel like it's it's just kind of floating around and until we find a middle ground and it lands on its feet no one's going to know for sure you know like the uh the concept of amc i heard that Mm -hmm. they're thinking about um charging per like depending on what the movie was like if it's a blockbuster Mm -hmm. we're going to charge you more versus like an independent film see i just don't like but it would still air on cable right is that what is that the idea when I initially heard that, it didn't have a um, a streaming component attached to it. It was just how huh. they were going to operate if you come into a movie theater. Nah, see, like that. I, I feel like me didn't make of, sense. Yeah, no, me neither. Like, it, I feel like that's just a bunch of suits at a in a boardroom trying to figure out how to compete with this new generation of internet and technology and social media. And they don't even, most of the time, those older people don't even know what the fuck the internet is. Like, I mean, that's the problem that we had with, like, this is getting political now, but this, that's the problem that we had with, like, Zuckerberg getting, I guess, like, kind of indicted or at least just questioned oh, in yeah. front of Congress. Like the questions and, they were asking him. They, oh, they... my God. They were like, how do you make money? And it's like, ads, Senator. Ads. Like, what? How the fuck how do many, you think we make money? <laughs> how, do you, how many times do you think I have to say it? Like, they didn't yeah. know data mining. They, they had no I'm, clue. I mean, these old-ass guys just, like, can't even fucking figure out their Bluetooth printer. It's like, how are they supposed to ask the hard questions to... I mean, Zuckerberg should technically be in jail for what he did, but they didn't ask the right questions. They didn't ask the right questions, and now he just roams free. And, you know, like, China and Russia and literally anyone who knows how to hack the system can just, like, go in and have your information willy-nilly. And uh, but it's the same thing for streaming and media and internet like movie consumption. It's just like you have these old guys who don't know what the fuck the internet is or how to compete with it, and they just they're like still banking on this old system of television and cable, and it's not going to fucking work. Like they're just going to drown, you know? No. Like they, it's just like they they have these horrible ideas, and they probably get like a bonus for it. Yeah, because they're probably, out of touch. Yeah, they're out of touch, and they pr- they probably you know, get like a $6 million bonus at the end of the year for having a quote unquote good idea. And it's just going to sink the company. Like, <laughs> I don't know how else to tell it to them, but they're not listening. They're not paying attention. And I think we, we had this conversation before and mm-hmm. it's about like the, uh, the, the market really is finding different stories and then putting them into independent film, mm-hmm. but giving them mainstream advertising. Yeah, I mean, I think the formula, like, yeah, go find an interesting story that has not been told before something original, get get new people, new ideas, different, 
directors, different writers, different actors. Yeah, but I I think, you know what, the the biggest obstacle to all of that is uh, the fact that the money, like, with every institution in our country is privatized. I mean, I look at uh, the UK, right, because I'm trying to find better opportunities to make dark comedy. And I think the UK is the best place for that. And I, I, I've been figuring out that they have a lot of in, independent film production companies and so does America, but, but they have more resources and access to grants in the UK. And then when you have the money to make something, even if it's kind of small and maybe production wise, like a little shitty, who knows, <clears throat> you know, you can still make something good enough to pitch to channel four or BBC three, which is their own government run networks. Right. And then you immediately get distribution. And Sweden's kind of the same way. I imagine it's true for like the majority of Europe and f- same with France. Yeah. Um, you know, and America just doesn't run that way. And like, it's, it's all just privatized money and, you know, it, it, that, it, that leaves it to this very small circle of elitist people that can afford to make a movie, which sounds ridiculous. Uh, and then it's just the same group of people doing that over and over until it dies, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. You're the one who was telling me about how it is, you know, just the access to money is just far more available in uh, these other countries in Europe in particular. Yeah, I've, I've been speaking to a couple of colleagues who work overseas, and um, there's a, a friend of mine who she, she's from the Netherlands, and she came to America for more AD opportunities. Because um, I would, I will say, America has more work, but it doesn't necessarily mean more opportunity or more likelihood to achieve the probably now dead American dream. Um, you know, to to have more money and success and fame and fortune and all that glory. Um, but she did say, uh, the downside of being in Europe for cinema is that because it's a government grant, it could take a much longer time to get funded, but I don't know, like, I think you, it's still really cool that they have those systems in place that the country and people's tax dollars actually go back into funding the arts, which our country just doesn't, you know, and like, if we do, it's for very small niche groups because our pool is so huge. So it's like. I don't know, you need to check off every single box, like just right for them to pick you. And then, and then you're dead. It, you know, like, it's just, yeah, the accessibility is just so small. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, there's a lot to it. Yeah. But for the record, I really enjoy talking to you about these sort of things. So me too. I mean, it helps to kind of get it off my chest. Cause I don't know, like, I feel like when I go to work, uh, you know, I, I'm talking about these things with my friends, but when you're at work, it's like, just shut up and do your work. And so I don't really have this kind of social accessibility to like, talk about these bigger issues all the time. And it's nice to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's see. Um, give me like 15 seconds and then we'll just get started, I guess. All right, cool. How are you on time, by the way? I'm fine. Yeah. Okay, I mean, cool, I'll, cool. I'll, it's a uh, quarantine. So all I have to do today is just go grocery shopping. <laughs> awesome. All right. Yeah. Welcome back to anyone who is interested in game gurus. We're back with another relationship review episode. I really have to get better at these intros, but I am here with a very special guest. Hi, my uh, name is uh, Emily Svensson, and uh, I'm a writer and director uh, for Dark Comedy in Los Angeles. And uh, yeah, I, um, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Emily, we had you on the show earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, we did Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, love that movie. <laughs> yes. And you selected another film for us. But what else have you been up to? Tell us. Catch us up with you. Uh, well, uh, it's kind of hard to answer because we, I, I had a pretty good momentum, like a lot of my co- uh, friends and colleagues in the film industry, uh, with you know, kind of a fully slated year for good projects. Uh, and then, of course, as you know, the coronavirus happened. And so everything just got put on hold. Um, so the last thing that I did... 
uh, I, I think before on our last podcast, I mentioned that we were working on an anthology series. Um, and so we had since, uh, finished that series and we were, you know, putting it through the festival circuit. And so right before the quarantine happened, um, I was in Idlewild, California for Idlewild International Film Festival. And, uh, we won a spirit of indie filmmaking award, which was pretty awesome, um, and so now we're just waiting to hear back for uh, a couple of other film festivals. Uh, of course, everything is postponed or hosted online through Zoom, uh, just because of the uncertainty of the time right now. Um, and we're seeking distribution for those eight short films that we made. Um, but yeah, we're pretty proud of it. Like, we're happy that we accomplished that. And we're trying to move forward with our uh, new future personal projects. Um, I had two things slated for this fall, but um, who knows what's going to happen with, uh, with the quarantine and all that, if those things will come to pass. But until then, we're just, um, I don't know, I'm just hanging out and I'm trying to do my best being productive at home. I'm sure like everybody is. Uh, yeah, just, uh, just passing the time, watching movies, watching good content, you know, <laughs> making, t- I'm making TikToks now. That's what I do. <laughs> yes, you're professional superstar tiktoker oh thank you yeah hardly at all viral on the app i I don't understand the algorithm at all in fact i get a lot of um the majority of my followers i think are creepy old republican dads but um you know i'm I'm (laughs) not hilarious it's hilarious but it's not even a joke it's it's just fact um (laughs) but i'm sharing a lot of those videos and stuff on instagram and facebook and um i'm using the the song board in the house by curtis roach who originally made the song and that song blew up and went viral. And I was just messing around on the app one day to his song. And uh, it, it kind of went quote unquote viral amongst family and friends on social media. And I was getting a lot of really positive feedback about how it's helping them kind of get through this miserable time and making people laugh. So I've been, I, I was making them every single day, but I think I've slowed down now to make one, you know, maybe every other day or every other two days or something like that. Um, just to kind of keep morale a little bit high. Uh, but yeah, it's been fun to make and it's, it's a fun little app to play around with. And um, I'm, I'm really enjoying myself and I, I'm glad it's being a positive thing for other people too. Absolutely. They crack me yeah. up every time. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> They're fun to make. <laughs> and um, I think I've told you this, but congratulations on all the success um, with your anthology series it's received a few awards now so thank you yeah um our our individual shorts have been getting you know a handful of awards here and there um I'm really proud of my 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 partners in the in the business Sarah Tether Kaplan Jasmine Chong Lulu Jovovich um you know they've been getting a lot of uh appreciation and positivity through all of that and then especially with um my business partner and and writer of my short film Jasmine Chong um, between our film together, uh, we've been getting a lot of uh, positive po- positive feedback and, and awards from film festivals so far. Um, and I'm pretty excited about that. It's like a, a nice thing to have a little win like that, you know? Absolutely. So yeah. I hope the momentum picks back up. Thank you. Uh, me too. This quarantine <laughs> life is over. Yeah, me too. You know, it's just my conjecture. I feel like the uh, entertainment industry has to be one of the um, first industries that as they start kind of slowly, gradually letting people come back to work, it has to be one of the first ones. If this quarantine is going to go on longer than expected, because people are going to need that content to be, you know, Oh yeah. Entertained. People oh, yeah. just can't stay in the house and they're seeing reruns of reruns of reruns. Well, I totally agree. And um, I was having this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday. Her name is Alexa Polar, and she hosts female filmmakers podcasts. And she was, she and I were talking about this and um, I I was advocating for the fact like you, that I think the industry will pick right back up because I mean, we can't first of all, imagine that the production company would have spent their money in the meantime of this quarantine. So I imagine like when things pick back up, you know, it's like everyone's just ready to go back to work, hopefully, and uh, hurry up and make what we were supposed to make. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy and I, I'm hopeful that the demand will stay high and everyone, you know, in the industry, myself, my colleagues, my friends, you know, we can't work from home so we can just hurry up and get back out there. Um, uh, yeah, I, I have uh, I'm, I'm pretty positive about that. <clears throat> like, uh, didn't uh, SNL do a skit from home? 
through Did June they really? or something like that. Uh, oh, I actually I didn't don't see know. It, <laughs> but yeah, I heard that was the case that they they kind of did it, did it well <laughs> one time, kind of got that off. But it, that's kind of funny. Do you think that um, traditional television like that, this is maybe the final, uh, or maybe I guess like the straw that breaks the camel's back, where everything maybe just shifts online and then. We have no choice but to just go to social media and YouTube and stuff. I wonder if that might happen. I wonder, you know, just for like television and shows, you think? I, I, I think some of the uh, implications from quarantine, mm-hmm. um, you know, will definitely um, kind of be, you'll see that impact for years to come. I think yeah. there's definitely going to be a shift in culture overall. Yeah, um, definitely. I think people are going to want to work from home more. Oh, for sure. People are going to demand more vacation days. So I think that kind of like rat race corporate structure Mm -hmm. is going to be as feasible. Yeah. Um, But my my personal conjecture would be as far as it relates to like production would be probably just more um, concise Mm -hmm. um, production times, like more compact. So like rather than, um, you know, uh, 120 day. Mm-hmm. Shoot, how, how many days would you say is a normal shoot for a project, like a film project? Ooh, depends. Uh, I mean, I'm not in the union, so I can't say for like big budget things. But right. uh, I mean, just in the in, just in the indie world, like definitely two to three weeks, probably. Like if they're shooting really fast, and maybe they have like a quarter, anywhere from like a quarter of a million to a million dollar budget, it's probably around that time period. Yeah, I, I think they're just kind of we're going to see more of a ramp up on production mm. where it's yeah. like, I, cause I think the standard for like um, kind of like the more studio based films is like, like the Netflix films. I think Netflix shoots films in like 60 to 90 days Yeah. versus um, I think most movies are like 120 days, something yeah. like that. A few yeah. months, you know, it takes to shoot three, three mm. to four months, something. Yeah. I think, Sorry, Does that sound about right? Yeah, it sounds interesting. I, obviously, like nobody can predict the future, but it's it's interesting to kind of just hang on to these possibilities and try to guess what's going to happen. I, yeah, I guess. I mean, they probably might just ask us to work a little harder and faster to hurry up and lessen the days. But um, yeah, I guess we won't know until we're there. <laughs> or like, for example, the uh, soap opera genre. Mm-hmm. They're, um, most soaps shoot maybe like a month maybe two months in advance but days of our lives for um they actually have enough new content for october they're good for halloween oh wow oh yeah but they shoot lightning fast i I saw like a behind the scenes about what the actors have to do yeah and it's insane the amount of lines that they have to memorize and how quickly they shoot it's it's wild to me. Like I, they're just a, a total machine. It's a, yeah, it's a machine from acting yeah. from a crew standpoint, script standpoint. Yeah. You yeah. know, I think at one point I heard that they were like eight months ahead. Holy crap! <laughs> you know, so that's insane. Yeah, no I mean, joke. I yeah, mean, soap operas are hard enough because you're new content five days out of the week. You know, yeah, excluding holidays, but yeah. Not that- that's crazy to me. I mean, my only my experience is limited to either indie feature filmmaking. So you have that, you know, two to potentially up to four week time period of shooting or uh, um, you we have like new media, you know, which is just quantity over quality, but it's like the McDonald's of movie making. You just you shoot it on your iPhone or something and then just hurry up and pump it out there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I, I don't know. I, I think a lot of changes are going to happen in a very short period of time. Like, I think yeah, 18 definitely. months from now, it's going to be a completely different reality with different practices in play. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be interesting. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But, so you selected a new movie for us. Yes. 10 Things I Hate About You. I actually, I had a long list to choose from, but I was feeling particularly nostalgic for the 90s and you know, in the quarantine, since we can't really live in the present and we have no idea what's going to happen in the future, I feel like living in the past is a pretty happy place to be at the moment. So, uh, yeah, 10 Things I Hate About You is definitely a longtime favorite. Uh, love 90s films like this. It's just, 
it touches on all the high school tropes and stereotypes and it's just a feel good movie um, with good casting and good acting. And I, you and I talked about this before, but I think it was in that, that golden time of eighties and nineties cinema where you could still make a movie for like eight to $11 million right. and have like a pretty good indie feature on your hands, like American pie or, uh, again, 10 Things I Hate About You or, like, literally any 90s film like that. Because um, now it's just Netflix, anymore. that yeah, now, teen movies. That's it, really. Yeah, now, now it's just Netflix or you have, you know, like, enormous blockbuster films that were made for, like, $100 million or something. Or you have, like, the indie feature that was, like, I don't know, a USC alum, Daddy's Money make it for a quarter of a million dollars shoot for two weeks in the desert and like maybe you get like a little bit of distribution or something and there's just like no happy medium anymore there's no in between it's just two extreme opposites and then you have social media which is not really the film industry but it's just kind of like standing next to the film industry (laughs) you know so i think that's kind of that's kind of interesting but we definitely had some of the best movies in the 90s because we could pay for it back then yeah and it wasn't completely like unreasonable like even doing a 20 30 million dollar movie oh yeah kind of unheard of now yeah for sure yeah that that money and the trust and the uh level of trying to go for experimenting for something like that just doesn't exist anymore it's really it's really too bad but right like a quarter uh, of a billion dollar movie like someone's not gonna really let you experiment with that yeah no no not anymore (laughs) So, yeah. Um, yeah, I love the movie. Um, Me too. Yeah. And it's just, you see the talent so young. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's not a weak link in the film at all. Everyone, incredible cast, uh, great script. Um, I, th- I think the movie came out. I can't remember actually when the movie came out. I don't want to say, but. Uh, I can look it up really Hold on. Um, it says 1999. So Nine yeah, months. that was like late, right? Like just just made the mark for golden cinema in the 90s. <laughs> and so, yeah. but it, it definitely has more of a 90s than a a 2000 sort of feel to it. Oh, 100. Um, I mean, like like I said, I think it just falls into all of those uh, Hollywood teen high school rom-com dramedy tropes uh yeah it's yeah i just i have so much nostalgia for it i just really love it but you get a young heath ledger Mm -hmm. a young joseph gordon levitt yeah um, gabrielle union gabrielle union yeah looking gorgeous as always she's my yeah she hasn't aged at all (laughs) yeah Uh. (laughs) she 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 looks like she grew maybe a little bit between here and uh bring it on yeah, just height-wise, but, like, yeah. you know, not mu- not much else. She's just, not much like, else, yeah. Yeah, she's just gorgeous as always. It's, uh, I'm envious. <laughs> and um, you actually had uh, Andrew Keegan, who, if you're not, like, a 90s kid, he was, for the girls out there, like, he, he was, was that guy. Job. Yeah, <laughs> he was yeah, guy he was that guy. <laughs> he was that guy. It was, uh, I, what's that show called? Um... It's like with Hillary Duff and but she's the like uh she's not the main character but um it's with a it wasn't Lizzie McGuire, was it? Not Lizzie McGuire, but she has a new show. It where did it come on? Bravo or I forget. Wait, was it was it from the nineties or was it No, uh... not from the nineties. Um okay. it's a newer show. Um, um if it's on T V I, I wouldn't know about it. I'm sorry to say, like I wouldn't I don't um I don't really watch TV anymore. <laughs> but anyway, the um, it, and it's about this woman who goes back to work and she's like posing as a millennial when she's really not. And Hillary huh. Duff happens to be her like colleague and best friend. And they're just talking one day and she's just like, I think she says Andrew Keegan or. Um, Wait, do- does is it like a parent sitcom? Uh, like or like, what it's in your thirties or something like that. Cause I yeah, I think well, I, I think I kind of know what you're talking about. So I'm see. looking it up. You looking up? 
I'm also looking it up. Hold on. Uh, is it called Younger? Younger. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So I, I've heard about that show. I've seen the trailer. Uh, I have never seen an episode, though. I'm sorry to say. Like, all of my Hillary Duff memories are just her. Lizzie McGuire, in, for sure. Li- yeah. Like, well, in, even more specifically, the Lizzie McGuire movie. That was, like, a whole big thing. A Cinderella Story is my fave. Yeah. Raise Your Voice is classic. So good. Um, yeah. And then, like, all of her songs, uh, you know, and her music videos that were, like, iconic for the time. Uh, yeah. Big, big fan. <laughs> like, the... Um... I don't think of the guy's name. It's on the tip of my tongue, but I'm like Jonathan Taylor Thomas. So she was asking him, "Were you more of an Andrew Keegan girl, or were you a?" Uh, she said, "I think she said JTT." Oh my gosh! And she's like, "Wait, what?" Wow. She's like, "Who are they?" And she's like, "I'm sorry." Well, I think neither for me. I think I was more of a Chad Michael Murray girl. Chad Michael Murray. He, yeah. I know a lot of girls like. Liked him as well. He came on a little later, though. I would say he was. He did, he was but he more was of older. Like the two thousand era. Yeah, but, but One Tree Hill is one of my favorite shows. That's dope. It, yeah, it's great. But I fell in love with him in uh, Freaky Friday when Lindsay Lohan was blossoming in her career. Yeah, he had that like leather jacket and goatee, and I was like, God, you're everything. <laughs> you're the guy. Yeah, you're the guy. You're the, the 90s guy. guy. So yeah, that's kind of <laughs> just to kind of paint a picture for you. That's. You know, it was kind of like a star-studded cast. You see people. Oh, yeah. Um, and then Julia Stiles, you know, from Save the but Last do you, Dance. Do you, yeah, do, sorry to interrupt, but, like, do you no. think they knew that it was a star-studded cast when they casted no. this movie? Because no. Because I feel it like... It was just that, young yeah. talent. Yeah. Just giving them that opportunity to just kind of work with each other. I think right. probably yeah. at the time... I, I agree. I would say... Um what's her name larissa only in that I, I can never pronounce her last oh name. yeah I, but I um not, she plays I bianca be mm-hmm. I, I think she and probably joseph gordon uh levitt probably had the most um they, like star pull i guess yeah at the yeah. time um it makes is, sense I, I think this is uh, was uh maybe the second or third film for Heath Ledger I could be wrong about it um mm-hmm. but well I wonder if he did a a Knight's Tale before no I don't Knight's Tale came no, it was after yeah okay because a Knight's Tale was the first movie that I had ever seen him in and that was like I was an alt I was like a huge Heath Ledger fan and that is one of my favorite movies as well I love that movie as well but, yeah same it like got me into David Bowie it just like re- it, like totally turned my world around in a good way um but yeah, I, I didn't know the chronology of it. Like if if this movie came first or if it was a Knight's Tale. But anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted. No, but no. I, yeah, I just had that thought. Love Knight's Tale. Funny story. Yeah. Got into like, I think my first fight and then went to see the Knight's Tale after. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I remember exactly when and where I saw that movie. And obviously not when because I couldn't remember the chronology of which film came first. But uh, I was visiting some friends in Sweden because I'm half Swedish, and um, I had never heard of this movie. I never knew about this actor, but then I saw this movie, and it just, like, it, it was during the summer, and it just, like, made our whole summer. Like, movies had a huge impact back then as a kid. Right. And that just, like, that movie made our whole summer. We watched it all summer. Like, it, it was the freaking best. It, it was awesome. It's like, big-time childhood thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Or even, like... We had Disney Channel original movies. You know, those were like oh yeah, <laughs> something to go to. So Johnny Tsunami or Johnny like Tsunami uh, what's, was, yeah, the what's under the girl. bed? Yeah. Oh, Xenon. Oh, Twenty First Century Girl. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> or like Smart House. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Oh God, those were amazing. Or you know what? My one of my favorites, Brink. Brink was awesome. Oh, so good. I'm actually gonna that, watch that, that later like, today. Oh, so do you know that the uh, main actor? I think he's just Eric? like a banker now. Yeah, he's like just like a regular banker. old dude. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. I mean, like, yeah, I don't know, just golden time of '90s movies, just the f- absolute freaking best. You were able uh, to I'm get gonna... a lot more quality movies made because it was. Oh yeah. You know, like big time. Brink today would be like a big, like Netflix would buy Brink. 
Oh yeah. Or you like, know. you know, other movies like Hocus Pocus or something. That movie still holds today. Right. Or like Hook, you know, the Hook, Hook is on Netflix right now. Yeah. Like I can watch that movie for the rest of my life and never get tired of it. Like that my future hypothetical kids and grandkids will see that movie. Yeah. You know, Hook it's is just, my that's one of my yeah. all-time favorite films. Um, Me too. Rest in peace to uh, Robin Williams. Williams. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorites. All time. Yeah. So, yeah. He's um, a genius. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. But it was, a, it was a lot of good stuff back then. Honest to God. Like, I think, you know, what? I think it is like our, our parents had probably the best music, even though 80s and 90s music was or like I would even argue like 90s grunge music was just revolutionary. Like, I'm yeah. a Nirvana, Kurt Cobain fan forever. And like everything Alanis Morissette and Goo Goo Dolls, Dave Matthews Band, Third Eye, uh, Third Eye Blind. Well, everything uh, from World. Seattle. Seattle. Yeah, West. pretty much Seattle grunge, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, like we had kick-ass music, but I think even our parents growing up in the '60s and '70s had even better music than we than we did. But I would say '90s for movies, we had the best, bar none. Like we were making the best stuff in the '90s, and I yeah. think it all just fizzled out. I don't know around. 2010 or something like that i i would say 2012 yeah 2012 like right yeah. after 9 11 or something <laughs> when the like the economy collapsed and all that garbage yeah after yeah after the financial collapse i think mm-hmm. the movie the film industry just started being way more conservative about yeah. um and then you have the technology well, we- of yeah, I was just gonna say, right? Yeah, yeah. Social media being that new platform. Yeah, right. So it's like, does having my product on a show or like as a commercial for a show financing this show, Mm does that hold as much weight as giving the money to an algorithm on Facebook? Yeah, you know. (laughs) So it's just they had to compete with a whole new um, industry before and then they had a monopoly, you know, right. Right. Advertising to get, to have a commercial be on a mm-hmm. show was the epitome of advertising. And that yeah. wasn't the case. And so yeah. being in the advertising world during that period, it was a lot of figuring it out. Like, mm-hmm. is it actually good for your company to, to even do a commercial? Where should we present it? You know, yeah. I had a business just based on online advertising, yeah. you know, and taking it and because people couldn't afford to really put things on um, TV as much. You know, it was just more expensive. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, the thing I missed the most, and obviously, I was just a kid. Well, both of us were just kids growing up with all of this. But you know, looking back on it, I do miss the fact that because those advertising those advertising industries used to exist and cinema used to be really good. Um, I mean, there's obviously great stuff being made today, but it's just it's uh, in a different way, usually overseas because they still support it over there. Um, but, I, you know, like back then when we had the money and the resources before Internet kind of took over everything to fit that algorithm, like you said, you know, people were more willing to be creative and take those risks. Right. And I think it were I think it was those risks that actually made the best things like with everything with advertising with fashion with music with movies like being able to take those risks and push the envelope because we had the money and resources to do it we made the best stuff but now it's just like you know just fit it into like 120 characters in twitter or it's not gonna go you know it's just it's too black and white and stuck in a box now and that that i think depresses me the most just for any kind of creative person or creative field today even though everyone is being more creative now because we're all trying to like ride this social media wave or whatever. It's just, you know, that like no one's taking risks. They're all trying to like filter the shit out of something. Excuse me. They're just like trying to filter the crud out of something. Um, I mean, until it works and they get like a ton of file words, you know, what's that? You can swear on the podcast. It's cool. Okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, people are just trying to filter the shit out of stuff. uh, or, Or like maybe if you do take a risk, um, even for com- like the sake of comedy, uh, people often find it offensive now or something like Todd Phillips. I'm not like Todd Phillips, number one fan or a huge advocate or anything, but like he did the hangover series until he did the Joker 
And he, he did put out on Twitter something saying like, you know, I don't I, like, I want to keep doing comedy, but I'm afraid to do it because if I say one wrong thing or do one wrong thing, my whole career could get canceled, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of true. You know, like uh, we're just in this really weird time where we're trying to like create a better country and better world for ourselves, but we're, we're really holding the reins a little too tight. I think, you know, cancel culture um, and all, is very prominent yeah. right now. Very big, very big. And uh, there's just like, there isn't a single person out there that's going to be perfect. It doesn't make horrible behavior acceptable, of course, but, you know, there's just no risk. So there's no creativity. So there's, you know, everything's just kind of like dead, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of sucky. Yeah, it's, there's a lot to it. There's also like, we could probably do a whole podcast. Maybe we should, maybe we should just do a whole discussing you know all the facets of it because I find it fascinating it's like definitely a field that I wanted to get into like you know Mm -hmm. even though I'm a you know I kind of view myself in two ways like as a writer and then like as a businessman you know yeah definitely yeah entrepreneur so um really more of an entrepreneur than a kind of like businessman I I kind of well I yeah Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I mean, I was, I was going to agree with you and say, I, I definitely think we all have to be because we're in this yeah. weird time. And I, I know this is getting political and stuff, but I think we're just in this weird time where we're, we're uh, totally cemented into this gig economy, whether we like it or not. Um, technology has really changed and uprooted all of those things where you know, like if you could get a job, there was job security or like people could retire, older people could retire in their 50s and 60s. And now they can't. They're still working. And so younger people can't get those jobs. And it's like a whole slew of problems. Like, I don't even know where to begin. But, you know, we're like our country's outsourcing jobs. So that's not um, as accessible here. You know, there's more artificial intelligence uh, coming through. And um, I have a direct experience with that. You know, I, I have this um, credit union that I use and a lot of the people we had like a brick and mortar place that I would go to to talk to the people and the associates who work there and they've been there for like 15 to 20 years and then the company that that credit union switched to AI to do everything online as most companies are doing and those people who had been loyal to that company for 15 to 20 years and had mortgages and they just bought a house and they were getting a good start in life and their footing finally they just got let go just like that let you know? go and there there's Just no plan for them in place no plan no replacement no nothing and you know i just i feel like our generation and the next generation just has this very cynical view of what the future is going to look like because unless there's good change to uh offset all of this you know like everyone's just going to struggle and sink you know it's I, not that we don't want to work it's just you know artificial intelligence is exciting because you know, we're taking away maybe dangerous labor that, you know, like factory work or something like that, but then people are kind of just left with nothing. So I, there's, and there's no solution to that. So, you know, it's just, it's like a wide variety of things that are all contributing to the same problem and there's just no way to fix it. Um, I don't know. I feel like I totally steered very far away from the 10 things I hate about you, but no, good, just, good uh, conversation. You know. We're talking about nostalgia. We're talking about life. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just add this, like, we get judged based on a, like, 80s, 70s, maybe even 60s mm-hmm. social economic basis. And yeah. it's not that way at all. Like, one job, yeah. well, there's no such thing as really a good job. It's like, you yeah. might have an oh, a, a job, a standard job, or you might have a great job. But yeah, if you can get a job, that's you're the right. problem, too. If you can like, get a job. Yeah. Yeah. You, and even, and yeah, sorry, good. You need like three um, incomes now. Yeah. You need different yeah. income streams. You can't just re- be reliant on one. Absolutely. I mean, I was having this conversation with my parents the other day, and obviously they're older, and, you know, they, they lived in LA before kind of hopping all over the world and then coming back to LA. Um, and they said back when they lived here in the 80s, they said it was unheard of for someone to not have a job which for us that that's like impossible. Like it's so difficult to get a job now, but back then 
everybody had a job. It's like you could have any opportunity. You could walk into a store and say, hey, I need a job. Can you help me out? And the answer would always be yes. And even for a cost of living, it was high back then. But, you know, I talked to my mom. She said, yeah, for rent, you know, I was getting paid minimum wage at my job, but I had benefits and my rent was $500 a month. Now for a studio apartment in LA, it's like 2000, <laughs> you know, it's just like outrageous yeah. and there's no solution for it. There's, you know, no one's fixing anything. Politicians are doing, you know, in my opinion, mostly fuck all. <laughs> so it's like, you know, not like politicians necessarily, but when you just look at like any, the economy, like mm-hmm. how can someone yeah. afford, like people yeah. will like split a studio apartment just for rent mm-hmm. you have to have a room yeah. for a studio apartment yeah you know and maybe That's you have like crazy. three people as roommates for yeah just to kind of make that make sense because yeah based on the quality of jobs and other expenses it's just it's just mm-hmm. way more expensive and there's less opportunity yeah yeah and like we're all you know i mean our generation i can't speak for myself because i had a different situation but um, you know, our generation's off to a really rough start because we're scrambling to afford healthcare, but we're already swimming in debt for school because we were promised a good job and a good life and success if we got a degree. And then that turned out to be a total sham. Yeah. You know, that's not ever, always ever... the reality. It is, yeah. you know, it is for yeah. some people and great for you if that is your reality. Yeah. But for a lot of people, like, you know, myself, for example, I decided to, um, you know, uh, drop out of school yeah mm-hmm. out of college I was just like I'm not I wanted this I, be yeah. the, the path forward like I feel like yeah. I should take more money and like invest in different businesses rather than education that I can learn on YouTube or just by reading books you know yeah I really wish I took time off it was more I, I was kind of more strong this is going to sound so entitled so I apologize for anyone listening to this and thinks I'm just a spoiled a-hole but uh I was really strong armed into going to college and it was a college that I knew was not going to help me. Um, even though I, like I wanted my, I wanted to go to a film school because I knew what I wanted to do since I was 15, but to go to film school, it was like NYU or USC somewhere unbelievably expensive and out of state and I could not afford it. Um, and, but my parents, you know, lovingly still wanted me to get a degree somewhere. So I went to school Uh, lived at home and worked two sometimes three jobs and it was a school that was not going to benefit me and so like all I really wanted to do was just drop out and I think I really wish I made that time to just do something else with the four years of my youth and a lot of mine and my family's money to put me through a school that I knew was not going to help or to get a degree that I knew was not going to be useful Um, but it was just it was like old mentality versus new mentality and there were just not very many options and especially trying to make that decision. I think in, in my own defense, like being 17 years old in high school is all, you know, and being a good kid and studying hard and being like a good student is all, you know, then trying to make that decision for yourself is really, really difficult. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's just my personal experience, but you know, Absolutely. my friends, who, my friends who did do that, they went out of state and went to a real film school or something like that, or did whatever um, you know, they're really, I, I like, I feel for them so much. I just, I don't know how they're going to survive with like a mortgage worth of debt and then try to just live, like just try to fucking survive. Like, I don't know how they're going to do it. Um, so I sidestepped, I, I like dodged a massive bullet without the debt, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean that, that dream of like going to college and having a degree work for me, like it just, that, that was never true. And I knew that, you know, even at 17 or 18, but I couldn't make better decisions for myself. So, um, and going against my family was really difficult for me. So I, you know, I, I just couldn't do that. I feel um, the same way. Yeah. So I can relate. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's we, really tough. We talked about this before. Like, it was like, we were right up the cusp of like two g- different generations. Like, yeah. Like we weren't quite our parent star. situation. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole yeah, being career, a social right? media star, yeah, it's a career now, but it wasn't for us then. Yeah. You know, like that was not an option. <laughs> no one really thought like you like a Logan Paul. That yeah. concept oh, for, was like, yeah. Ugh. yeah, 
although I'm not a fan of his at all. I don't oh, understand the appeal. <laughs> um, yeah. Look, look, and I, I don't care if he hears this. If you're fans of his, I'm not a fan <laughs> of it, so it is what it is. But um, yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, ex- exploiting people for, for monetary gain, I don't think is ever correct. It's like never something you should do. I, like, I, I don't really follow YouTube stars. I like briefly watched Casey Neistat and PewDiePie for a short period of time. I kind of got tired of that quickly. Um, so like the only YouTuber I follow now these days is David Dobrik, but it's just because he, he's basically like a charity channel. Like he goes around LA and has fun with his friends. Yeah. But he's not pranking people or making, he's not like ruining people's neighborhoods and lives for monetary gain. He's like usually giving away a freaking Tesla. And I think that's cool. You know, if you have that much success and you want to share it and be a good person about it, I think that's the best way to go about it. Cause you know, there's like no right way to do social media, but I think if you had to follow a model like that, that would be a pretty good one. That's pretty close in my opinion. But um, yeah, just pranking people and like destroying neighborhoods because you think it's funny. Like uh, that's not right. And I think that's just like some debaucherous behavior that should never be rewarded. But it is, you know, it's like sensationalism is what like social media is kind of known for, right? Yeah. That's how you kind of like break through on social media rather than being talented yeah um, it's true and, and and that was a difference in um you know the culture as well mm-hmm. so, oh yeah big time um yeah you know there's just there's so much so much to it yeah you know, you know what's funny like uh my other podcast i don't know if you've ever listened to it but uh trap life where we it's more of an entrepreneur and um, empowerment, empathy-based podcast. This sounds like more of a trap life conversation. <laughs> I'm sorry, I know. Like we got so we got so deep into this. We got so hole. deep into this one, but I'm thinking about this. I'm it like, just, this is really yeah. good trap life content. That's it is, but <laughs> but it just we it just came from like '90s nostalgia and having a really good time and a bright future, and then it all just came crashing down. <laughs> we yeah. just we dove into everything else from social media and politics to economy and everything. Quarantine life, like let yeah. us live. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so So, if it's cool with you i might actually you know just put this on trap life too you know yeah please please go for it do what you got to do i'm i support it whatever you have whatever you want (laughs) but um so i think i'm gonna make the quarterback call right now yes what we're gonna do um we don't have to necessarily we could cut off and then we'll just come back into it and then we'll just wrap up and just go in real quick on uh, 10 things I hate about you. Yeah, for but sure. this is great. Yeah, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Like, obviously, there's a lot to be said here. And um, yeah, I, I, I think people need to hear it. <laughs> people definitely need to hear it. And like, yeah. I would actually like to, um, you know, maybe like have you come back and do an official conversation about this i just you know really love our discussions it's great stuff sure yeah likewise i mean like i said i don't get a ton of opportunity to talk about this um at work even though i work with very good hardworking, intelligent people um you know just it's like work is work and so we don't we don't have the same kind of um like social accessibility for this always so it's nice to actually just kind of get it off my chest and and vent (laughs) absolutely well, yeah. audience, if you're listening to this on Trap Life or you're listening to the uh, 10 Things I Hate About You relationship review, listen to the other episode so you can get a feel for the whole conversation. Uh, we are going to do some cross-promoting here. So, yeah. Awesome. Thanks. <laughs> but we will be.